Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. Eric, Florida, um, off the snide, so to speak, gets their first road win of the season and their first SEC win of the season Saturday at South Carolina. Thoughts? Yeah, it was a good one. And uh, I, I know we're going to try to keep our, our preview a little bit shorter than normal because we were having such a good time with Jake Winderman on the last podcast. We didn't get to list our questions, but uh, there's still definitely uh, plenty to talk about with uh, with the South Carolina performance. I would say, generally speaking, uh, a game that that I would say felt like the Gators were in more control than the eight point win would suggest. Uh, I, I thought that. Um, uh, you know, really felt like they were controlling it. Of course, Sarah, South Carolina has a bit of a bit of a run in the second half to, to make it a little closer. But I thought the Gators played really well and controlled a lot of the game. And I thought that they they had some really good moments offensively and some really good moments defensively. So uh, it wasn't just simply like, wow, finally the Gators get a team that's maybe projected to be at the bottom of the SEC and uh, they get a little bit of an easier game and they, you know, sneak out with a win. I, I thought they played pretty well on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I was particularly pleased with um, both the starting five and Florida's effort defensively, which I thought really kind of set the tone for the game. Um, in the first half, allowed Florida to do what they haven't been able to do in SEC play, other than for a little moment of the Alabama game, which is lead in the first half. Um, Florida jumped out. I think they were up 10-4 to four at the first media timeout. I was there. I never felt like Florida was – particularly troubled, which is a weird thing to say in a game where the other team has 26 more shot attempts. Um, you normally would think if the other team has 26 more field goal attempts, you might have a bit of a problem. And yet uh, Florida never trailed uh, in the game at all. Um, let it wire to wire, I think. So, you know, that's, uh, that's good. Let's talk before we get into individual performances. Just, it seemed like uh, Florida, I thought, did a nice job of reacting to the fact that South Carolina made it very difficult for Florida to enter the post to Colin Castleton. Yeah, they did do a good job, and they've got those big bodies up front, and, and that makes it um, a little bit easier for them to, to keep that ball out of there. And I thought it was pretty interesting to see the Gators go back to a little bit more of the Princeton stuff that we've seen kind of like – I mean, the first time I like in my mind's eye was like woof, way back in a, a, a difficult game that still kind of comes up now and then um, against Duke, but really kind of became more prominent with the Gators two years ago and then, of course, last season. And uh, we saw at times it, it kind of lost a little bit of its its luster, but at the same time, it just seems like there's some defenses that just don't respond well to especially the split cuts where two players come together and there's a bunch of reads that the players can make out of it. Um, sometimes it, it got a little bit stale and doesn't work, and then sometimes there's games against South Carolina where they were able to get slips to the, to the basket a couple of times. Um, Elijah Kennedy had one really nice one. Flanders Fleming had one really nice one. Brian McKissick had one good late. Um, so it just really worked and it was kind of nice to see them blending it a little bit with the five out stuff that hasn't been working out quite as well. So again, I don't think the Gators should look at that and say like, Oh, we need to definitely go to this Princeton more and more. But, uh, I do think it's kind of nice to have in their bag because there's just some games like the, the way that some teams play defense, they're just, they just seem to be susceptible to it. And that was South Carolina. I, I do think one thing that I did like that I thought was a lot different or a little bit different, a subtle change for the Gators between, when they were doing the Princeton and it didn't totally work out as well. And, and something that worked well against, against South Carolina was they had those convergences of two players for the split cut a lot lower 
And it, it made the spacing, I think, a lot more in- interesting for like if a player was to pop out to the three-point line, it was really easy footwork for them to get there. And if it was cutting to the paint or slipping one of those screens, it was like one step in there at the paint. I thought that the Gators were running those split cuts a little bit too high when it wasn't working. And that just made, you know, something I keep going back to. It was like they would make that cut, but it just didn't seem to threaten the defense because they would need three long strides to be anywhere near threatening the defense. And by that point, the defense would have responded. So I, I, I've been watching teams like Furman that do it really well. And they just run those those actions a lot lower. And uh, therefore, those cuts are a lot closer to the rim. And the guys coming off the screens are right into the shot prep for a three-point shot earlier. And um, I think there was a little adjustment the Gators made. And it was really effective. So um, as we constantly search for, for better offense, I would say this was a, a positive game. Yeah, no, I think Florida, it's very, very clear that the more set reliant they are, uh, the better off they are. Obviously, with this type of Princeton offense or styled offense, modernized Princeton offense, it still forces players to react to what the defense does. It's not necessarily, you know, one set and this is the play. But um, I thought Florida did a nice job of sort of feeding off those options, as you talked about. Another thing that, you know, I really – I uh, thought Florida was more mindful about was just protecting the basketball. They still had, uh, and I think this is just going to be a thing with this team all year. I mean, I, it's great that Mike White talks about it, but I feel like they're just going to have these plays where they get in the paint and they try to make these cross-court passes. I think Jake mentioned them on the last podcast. They get intercepted. They result in transition defense. There were a few of those uh, yesterday, but, but not as many. I thought there was a little bit more uh, driving with a purpose um, yesterday for Florida. Uh, you know, I thought Myron Jones in particular had a couple of drives where one, he missed a layup and got fouled. And yeah, we'd all love him to not go two for four from the free throw line, but it was nice to see him take the ball to the basket with the intent to score uh, off the bounce. Flan Fleming, I thought pretty consistently did that. Um, for Florida and Tyree Appleby was one of the players that I thought was much more careful uh, and meticulous in his thought process about where to pass the ball. And I did see after the game that Twitter kind of got on him a little bit. Oh, you know, he's a turnover machine. And I just didn't really see it that way, nor did his box plus minus when I think he was plus 17 or something really good. I mean, I know that I've used this to defend Appleby a couple of times, but again, I just think that the Gators are a team that like a lot of those turnovers seem to come when they are trying to create offense one-on-one and when they're in the five out trying to, um, you know, make reads. And I, I just feel like that's where this team is not particularly talented and and they don't excel at that and just like when they're not trusting the offense and they kind of feel like they have to go make a play that's where the turnovers happen so I think you go to this um, just using the Princeton as an example it's it's kind of um, the decision making is by the players that are away from the ball, a convergence of two players. And it's like, Hey, do I want to curl off this screen or do I want to fade off the screen? Or do I want to set the screen with this angle or do I want to set it this way and then slip it? So that it's kind of like, Hey, if, if those guys make awful reads, nothing happens. They don't have the basketball, but if you're playing this five out and the guy with the basketball in his hands is, is the one who's kind of got to create the movement and create the offense. Um, and you mess up there. That's when you lose the basketball. So that's one thing that I do kind of like about the Princeton offense. And again, some people looked at that. Let's go back to the Andrew Nemhart years where people were like, wow, Andrew Nemhart doesn't 
he just dribbles the arrow to the ball. And it was because he was holding the ball while guys on the away from the away from the rock were trying to where you know they were the ones really running the offense, even though people are used to the guy with the ball in their hands running the offense. But it's really driven by those convergences of players away from the ball. So um that's one of those things. It's like, it might look like the player's taking the arrow to the ball, but if a quote unquote mistake happens, you still have the basketball because it's guys without the ball that are, that are making these reads. So it's, it's definitely one positive I would say uh, of the Princeton. And the other thing about Appleby, I, I still think, and like, again, it might be foolish to use stats from a different league three and four years ago, but like, he didn't turn the ball over at Cleveland state when he was playing with really bad players and had the ball in his hands, like a hundred percent of the time. And you know, again, maybe it is just the step up against SEC athletes, but I do think it's still just like kind of a product of like when Florida's offense hasn't been great, he turns the ball over. But when Florida's offense has been good, it's it's because it's when it's been a little bit more set oriented, um, a little bit more structured. And that's where his kind of, you know, speed and ability to get in the paint kind of really, really thrive. So I, I still think that the Gators just really need his his creation ability. And uh, I still think they need his ability to to make some of those passes that are a little more structured if they're going to play something like the Princeton. So I'll keep defending Appleby um, just because um, I, I think that skill set is something that the Gators don't have a lot of. And because he has a little bit of it, it's not that he's, I think we've kind of seen he's not an elite playmaker, not an elite self-creation guy, but he's a guy who has a bit of those skills on a team that, that lacks it overall. So I, I do think it's important and, Brandon McKissick is playing better basketball um, these last couple of games, I would say for sure. But I, I still kind of see at that point guard spot. Uh, I'm, I mean, there's just times where I'm just definitely most comfortable with Appleby out there. Yeah. And I think we can get into Brandon McKissick a little bit when we talk about Florida's defense, which I thought was terrific at extending South Carolina's offense uh, in the first half. This was more of a press with a purpose. Um, I don't think Florida necessarily intended that it would get a ton of turnovers. Maybe you disagree with me off of their press in the first half. I thought they did a lot of show me trapping just to sort of get the ball out of maybe a primary ball handler's hands and into a secondary ball handler's hands. And then South Carolina would have to work high up the court to get the ball back to the primary ball handler. And all of that does is create a big time suck. And also Florida managed to get, um, you know, a lot of times you'll hear an announcer talk about how they lift the defense up uh, on offense, and that's how they're able to attack the paint. This was almost the inverse of that. It was Florida making South Carolina start very deep in their half-court sets and extending their defense with purpose. Um, South Carolina did react to that, I think, in the second half by making a commitment to going quicker and then getting into the paint and trying to drive. Um, and, you know, obviously Colin Castleton was just kind of the great equalizer there. Uh, but your thoughts on Florida's game plan? Because I honestly thought this is probably one of the most well-executed defensive game plans they've had this season. Yeah, I thought it was solid. And and again, that definitely uh, took them out of their, their rhythm of being able to, like we talked about on the last show, uh, just the way that they love to go have that big go and seal in early offense. And then they have a pin down for Eric Stevenson. Like Eric Stevenson was really quiet for, for most of the game. And I think the reason why is they got the, they got South Carolina out of that, uh, out of that kind of primary offense because they want to space the floor, have one, you know, one guy in a corner, 
the big man ceiling and then two players on the one side of the floor because one of those players needs to be Eric Stevenson and the other one has to pin down for Eric Stevenson. So when they were trapping and they made multiple South Carolina players have to go into the backcourt to bring the ball up because they were trapping, it totally messed up their spacing. They weren't able to get into their primary offense and they weren't able to get Eric Stevenson coming over all, all these um, off all these pin downs. So uh, for that reason, um, I thought it was a really good game plan. And it was really effective. And yeah, like Stevenson was able to ultimately hit some shots in the second half. And it was enough that made me think like, wow, it's a good thing the Gators were able to keep them out of those, those running them pin, those pin down sets for them, because uh, that could have been very different. So uh, definitely, uh, I don't know how much of it was like, Hey, if we, you know, trap and keep the ball, you know, make South Carolina have two plays in the backcourt, we'll be able to keep them from running the primary offense they like to run. Um, but that was the, uh, that was what happened. And uh, for that reason, it was really effective. So a uh, really good game plan for, by the Gators and uh, good job by the players on the court to, uh, uh, run that without getting burnt and, and giving up too many too many layups when uh, when that presses beat. Yeah, I mean um, James Reese, Cousinard, and um, Stevenson went scoreless in the first half. Just an idea of how uh, effective Florida was defensively uh, in the opening frame. And like I said, I do think South Carolina got into a rhythm. We saw their run um, in the second half, but you know when Florida needed it, uh, Colin Castleton. Just tremendous. Uh, eight blocks could have, I mean, it looked like he probably could have had one or two more that they could have given him credit for uh, in, in the score sheet, but just negating things. And a lot of those, you know, not cheap looks. It was, it was sort of like if Castleton doesn't make the block, it's points. Um, like there wasn't much help. So I think uh, just a tremendous game defensively from him on a day when it was a little more difficult for him on the offensive side. Yeah, I actually, well, there's definitely one play where I'm like certain he blocked it. I went back and looked at it on like, you know, half speed um, to and uh, he definitely blocked one that they didn't give him. And I thought that kind of was unfortunate because nine blocks um, by Dwayne Davis, I think uh, back in like the nineties or eighties or something is, uh, is the Gator single game block record, um, with nine. So Castleton would have tied that. And I just really want him to get 10 blocks. Um, I think that'd be very cool. Um, and for him, who's been such a good shot blocker and just, uh, I thought this one could be it. I, I went back at a second play thinking they could have given him a block and they probably shouldn't, you know, I, I don't think it ultimately was. So I think he really had nine blocks, which would have tied the record, but um, you know, there's a foul call that maybe couldn't have been called. That would have been another block, but um, I think the 10 blocks is coming and that would be very cool for him. And that would be, uh, that would be the single game record. I know a couple of people were, were asking and I was a little bit busy during the game. So I didn't tweet back at them. So if that was one of you, there's your answer. It is um, nine uh, by Dwayne Davis, I believe, is the Gator single game record, and uh, it'd be very cool for Castleton to to get that one. And I, you know, if there's anyone that's going to be kind of capable, like it could it could really be him. Yeah, no, uh, sensational um, performance by Colin. A couple rebounds and a couple blocks from a triple double. Um, and you know how cool would have like a 10-10-10 triple double have been? But uh, um, I, I thought. Maybe for his player of the game, other than uh, Kowasi Reeves, who I just thought made a huge difference, maybe the difference between winning and losing yesterday. Um, he has just such a nice quick release on his jump shot. And so when Florida was able to get him the ball in space and he was open, uh, you also noticed that he was taking it in that – it took the bulk of his threes in that money spot in the corner. Um 
where particularly young shooters, but I think Eric may have said on a podcast earlier this year that like all shooters are more effective over there. I definitely think younger shooters are, um, yeah, especially when they can get set and they have such a nice release. I was right on the Florida bench. So when he took a couple of them, uh, they were almost like straight eye shot for me where I didn't have to move my head. And every single shot he took yesterday, it looked like it was going in. Um, you know, and then I like the fact that uh, obviously at the end of the game, um, Kowasi Reeves just makes a sensational hustle play uh, to keep Florida in possession of the ball instead of giving South Carolina the ball down six with 40 seconds left. And the Gamecocks had at that point hit about six of their last eight three point attempts. So, you know, I was one, I was, I think a lot of the Florida fans in the building, there were a lot of them um, were worried. Uh, and then Kowasi Reeves makes a sensational play. Just your your thoughts on uh, Wasey's second start and, and probably his best game as a Gator. Well, you know, I don't want to like try to say like, we're, like this shouldn't be like our I told you so lap, but I mean, this is kind of what we've been saying ever since he <laughs> committed where like we, and even before the season when we said, who do you, you know, people are asking, who do you think the starting five is going to be? And we both said, um, I I think it's going to be this. And by the end of the season, we think Kwesi Reeves is going to be in the starting lap. Like we don't think he's going to start to start the season, but we think by the end of the season, he's going to be there. Um, you know, I guess we'll see, but you know, st- looking at this game, which is, you know, small sample size, but you're, you're just seeing why. And again, like you see those shots that he made, he made them look so effortless, but watching the game for a second time, it was like, you know, the one play off the inbounds, um, like his footwork to get set and make that shot. Like it was elite footwork that he made look so easy that in the moments it just looked like it was an easy catch and shoot shot, but it wasn't, it was because he made it look easy because his footwork was so good. And then that one corner three, um, just lightning quick release. And then he just drills it. Like again, NBA release. Like you even think about that play that he made to save the, you know, save that rebound. It's like his, his just like straight line speed and like twitchiness and just like the length to get to that ball. I don't know if one of Florida's six foot two guards would have been able to get their hand on that, to, um, and control it and, and throw it back into play. So, uh, Again, I just think we're just just based honestly on his shooting alone. I think he should remain in the starting lineup. But um, and then I mean, again, you see that the first bucket he had was a mid range jumper. And again, live, it was like, oh, you know, got an easy, you know, South Carolina drops the pick and roll. So he kind of got into the mid range and hit a mid range jumper. Watching it again, he had a guy in his hip and he just burned him because his first step was so quick. And then he stopped on a dime and got a balanced jump shot because that's what he's been doing ever since he was in high school. So, like, I, I think we did see why you know some of us were kind of clamoring him to have a bigger role because like to see that footwork to see that first step to see that quick release like those are the things that we had been seeing from him in high school and again that's not always a straight one-to-one transition to uh, the sec um particularly you know he didn't play at the highest level in high school but at six foot seven with just such good footwork such good shooting mechanics uh it's it's just like one of those times where uh, again those those threes he made with the footwork with the quick release there there were shots that i don't think anyone else on the gators would have been able to make in the same way the the mid-range jump shot he had off the pick and roll were shots that i don't think anyone on the gators other than him could have made because they don't have as quick of a first step they don't have as good of a a pull-up game and aren't six foot seven so he's just doing things right now that i don't think other players on the gators can can really bring and uh for that reason i would you know love to see him start this week and uh could really see him continuing to start moving forward yeah, I mean, I think they're going to need him. I mentioned on the last podcast that we saw this kind of jump from Keontae Johnson um, when he was a freshman. 
where I think he struggled with adjusting to, to the effort that's needed defensively. Um, I don't think it was ever necessarily that he didn't care because I think when you use the word effort, like fans think one thing and coaches sometimes think another thing. And I don't mean that he wasn't trying hard. I think that just the speed of the game and adjusting to that sort of, um, you know, Hey, I'm in position, but I am much quick, much more quickly not in position as a defender in college basketball than I was before when I could use my length and stuff like that to recover. And we're seeing, you know, Wacy start understanding how fast actions work and things of that nature on defense. Um, and I think him being more confident offensively is helping or defensively is helping him offensively because he's not thinking as much on the floor. He's just kind of able to play and react um, possession to possession. And I think that's very good. He, I, I agree. He should absolutely uh, continue to start for Florida because they just seem to be a much better team. It's evidenced by, uh, you know, their best shooting night and they do it against a team that, that plays pretty good defense in South Carolina on Saturday and they do it on the road. Um, so, you know, just the second home loss for the Gamecocks who uh, also fell to Auburn in their building. But I think uh, something to build on for Florida as they get ready for Miss State, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, I think that's um, all I really have for South Carolina. I just want to say, too, that it was definitely interesting to see that the Gators, after using the same starting lineup a whole bunch, have continued to kind of blend things up. Um, and uh, I'm happy to see it. I mean, the starting lineup they used was I for South Carolina was one that had only played two minutes together all season. So definitely they were like really trying something else out new. So um I definitely appreciate that they were kind of willing to willing to do that. And South Carolina is, you know, probably a good opponent for you to, to try that out. Um, and uh, my last question for, well, no, I guess, I guess this was going to blend into uh, um, maybe that, you know, the uh, Mississippi state preview, but I I'm curious if like looking at the minutes played against South Carolina, like I think we both see that, um, we both look at like a Quasi Reeves getting 23 minutes and we say that's something that we think is probably going to continue moving forward. Um, what do you think about the other like changed minute loads for guys? What, like, what do you think is, is for real or what you'd like to see continue? No, I love that you asked that because it was one of the notes I wrote down to talk about. It was going to be my last point on the game was actually minutes. First SEC game where Florida makes uh, has nine players with 10 minutes plus. Um, and I do think that Florida needs to continue to extend their bench. I just think this team, like there's just not to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, Eric, but there doesn't seem to me to be like this huge disparity between the first five and the second five for Florida. Like obviously Colin Castleton uh, and Jason Jatovo, there's a, a pretty significant disparity and I'm not knocking Jason Jatovo. Colin Castleton's a first team, all SEC center. Um, but beyond that, you know, from like spot two to 10, I'm just not sure that there is as much a disparity. And when you have a guy like Elijah Kennedy, that is pretty clearly locked in um, on, in terms of his perimeter defense and yesterday hits a three pointer in transition. Um, you know, I mean, those things are, you know, that's worth putting on the floor to me. So I don't know. I liked uh, the way that they distributed minutes and I hope that that is a sign of things to come. Um, you know, Myron Jones was the one real uh, eye opener. And that was in my little bullet point with the 15 minutes that he played, um, as a season low. 
Well, I think that uh, when I first introduced the theory of does playing more minutes hurt Myron Jones's shooting? Um, it was like a quarter baked idea at the time because looking back at Penn State, there wasn't really numbers to corroborate that. Um, you know, now that he played 15 minutes and was two for five from the three-point line, um, maybe it's like half-baked. It's it's now a half-baked theory. It's been in the oven for like 10 minutes at <laughs> 375, but it's not close to done. But uh <laughs> it is interesting to see after many poor shooting nights, many poor high volume shooting nights. And now he plays less minutes and is able to, you know, knock down the shots that I thought were, were the best looks. And that's something that for someone as inconsistent of a shooter as Jones that you kind of would, would like to see like, yes, when you're wide open in a broken play from the right 45, do you hit that shot? Um, and then, yeah, it's like, if you miss the ones that are a little tougher at the end of a clock, you know, that's, that's what you live with. So um, I definitely think that was one that was pretty interesting. And I would say he was the guy who, got less minutes definitely at the hands of, of Quasi Reeves. And, uh, but Hey, if the, if the team is going to like, I think Myron Jones would accept 15 minutes if he's going to keep shooting two for five from three. I mean, I would think so. Um, as the Gators continue to blend it up, we'll see. I know I don't really have anything to say about it, but I know some people are still clamoring for CJ Felder to get more minutes. I would probably be in that camp as well. Um, I know that actually, Oh, this is gonna this is gonna blend into the Mississippi State, but one thing we really should talk about that we didn't, um, and I know we're trying to push this along, but uh, C.J. Felder, I remember he got pulled twice when he didn't box out, um, mm. and uh, yeah. that's something that uh, the Gators or Mike White was definitely doing. I I thought I, I noticed a couple that I thought were guys not boxing out and then getting pulled because of it, and you know the Gators got hammered on the offensive glass once again. So um, curious what your uh, what your thoughts are on on the rebounding. And uh, how much of it is uh, well, yeah, just just what what you think it might be the result of? No, I think we can address that here because it's a good segue into listener questions as well, which I think um, you know there were some people that were asking about the bench, and so we can kind of cross reference those questions and say that we've we've just talked about them. But yeah, I mean, look, Florida gave up 26 more shot attempts yesterday. I mentioned that already. One reason why was they gave up 21 offensive rebounds. Um, I thought a big reason that South Carolina was able to claw back within four in the second half and then within six um, and then within five, I think. Um, it might have been four and then five and then six. But in, in any way, to, to get it to where it was two possessions, um, they just ate Florida live on the glass. And, and Mike White you know, has said all year that it has to be a collaborative effort. Um, on the defensive glass. And I just don't think outside of, uh, you know, Castleton and Brandon McKissick yesterday, there were a ton of people that were real interested in, in being physical and, and getting rebounds. And I didn't want to compliment McKissick in that uh, stretch because I thought he dug down and, and was at least active enough to get his hands on balls a few times. And I think Mike White, you know, certainly appreciated that. I know I did in the stands because other times it was like, man, I just hope the ball comes to Castleton. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Daruji was the other guy who had to sit for a moment um, for mixing, missing a box out. So uh, great points by you, Eric. And, and um, they're going to play a front court against Miss State that uh, is even um, – it, it's as good as South Carolina's but more talented, I guess, is the way I would put it. <laughs> so uh, you just can't get – you know, if, if they thought this was hard, they, they could get eaten alive by state on the glass. Um, and I think maybe that's a good segue to listener questions, unless you had anything to add to that. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned McKissick because actually um, he was a guy against Alabama, kind of the first game of this little run where the Gators started to get pounded on the glass, um, where I thought he had some like egregious missed box outs, like where he turned, looked at the guy he should have boxed out, looked back towards the rim and did nothing. And the guy just ran by him and got a rebound. And to then see against Auburn, I thought he started to be very diligent at boxing out. So I think that that was probably, he was the guy in, in film that for sure was getting uh I don't want to say singled out, but you know, like it was someone that I was going to single out. And then I was like, yeah. well, I don't think there's anything yeah. to add by, by tweeting out these clips. But um, so I think he's someone who, who definitely may has been making a more concerted effort to box out. Uh, but yeah, I still think like, like even Castleton, I think Castleton's still pretty used to being longer and taller and can now jump a lot of guys. I, I don't think he's the most disciplined at, at boxing out. He's able to get away with it because of his kind of nose for the ball and physical gifts. But um you know, man, CJ Felder's really physical, but there's times he wants to jump with guys for rebounds, and that's kind of not the case. And like sometimes you see Anthony Deruji coming into traffic and soaring in and grabbing a defensive rebound, and like people are like, "Oh, that's awesome!" But at the same time, if it's like a contested ball that he's like soaring in to grab, that probably means he's not boxing someone out. So I do think that a couple of the Gators do still need to just get a lot more discipline at boxing out and finding bodies and and not just like being willing to say like, Hey, I've got a foot in the paint. I'm, you know, in rebounding position. Cause like oftentimes rebounding position is finding a guy and then being on the right side of that guy. It's not having a foot in the paint. The, the other thing I'll say too, is like one of the, one of Florida's defensive successes I'll say this year is that they are really good at taking away three point attempts from their opponents. And that's something that's been kind of pretty important to Mike White's defensive philosophy over the last couple of years. And they're doing that successfully. But I do think that one of the, like the tax you pay for running guys off the line is you're going to get yourself in rotation and you're going to give up offensive rebounds because of it. Um, so again, like I'm not saying that it excuses a lot of these offensive rebounds, but at the same time, I think the Gators, like as much as they're going to say like, Oh, we need to be a lot better. It's also one of those things where it's like, Hey, if we're going to close out hard into gaps and run guys off the line, um, and turn those three point attempts into kind of scramble rotation, two point attempts, like you're going to give up offensive rebounds and that's just one of the trade-offs you make. So, you know, that's up to Florida to decide if that's a trade-off they, they like is like, Hey, we're going to continue to try to limit three point attempts, but we're going to give up some more offensive rebounds because of it. Um, that's where like, you know, some enterprising analytics could mind could definitely kind of point to, is that a good idea or not? Um, but you're just going to see some games like this where, um, you know, low three point attempts for the other team, but because of it, it's, it's going to be offensive rebounds. So, um, I think if they were better at boxing out and guys were more disciplined at that, then, um, you kind of, it, it, the, the margin certainly wouldn't be that big. Uh, and and then one more thing in terms of like, you know, I'll say paying the tax. I think that's also a tax you pay if you're going to have a six foot two shooting guard playing small forward. Um, whereas yep. a lot of other teams yep. in the SEC particularly have longer six foot seven guys. Um, you, you know, like you're like, okay, we want a little bit more ball handling, a little bit more shooting at the three. Um, for Florida right now, that means like a six two or six foot three guy, unless you get Kwesi Reeves in there. Um, so the tax you pay for that is going to be like, yes, we have less offensive rebounders. So, um, those are just kind of some general thoughts I have on offensive rebounding, but that is all. And I'd love to get into to listener questions. No, those are great thoughts. Um, Jake Gingrich will start us off. Ask, uh, what's up with Applebee minus not valuing the basketball. Will we see Jones's minutes cut considering he's been a liability on both ends of the court? Um, 
Well, I don't think he's been as much of a liability defensively as some some folks think. Uh, like, I get that he's not, you know, generating a ton of steals, but I don't think he gets straight line driven nearly as much as like, you know, Brandon McKissick has, or, or uh, particularly after McKissick hurt his ankle, or um, obviously sometimes Tyree Appleby can just get bullied because he's undersized, um, and we don't have to worry about Myron Jones being undersized. So I do think he kind of keeps people in front of him. But like I've said repeatedly, I feel like he's an average power six defender. And yeah, I mean, Eric can talk about, you know, it being half baked all you want, but right now I just think he's not a 32, 33 minute guy. Like, you know, and until uh, we are seeing him sort of seem to come out of his shooting slump a little bit. And if that happens, great. But I think Florida's finally developing confidence as a staff and their other options. And I'd like to keep Myron at, at 20 minutes or so a night. Yeah. Unless you see him, you know, coming out and hitting four or five threes and four of five. And then you want him to like, Hey, could like, we need him to take 13 or 14 threes this game. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't call him a liability on the defensive end. I don't think he's a plus player on the defensive end. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, if you're a shooter um, and you're not making shots and you're average at best on the defensive end, um, you know, where's the value there? So, um, I, I still think like, we'll, we'll see if he can contend from, for some of those ball handling minutes. Um, he had a couple of rough moments recently getting the ball stolen from him, but, uh, early in the season, he had some, some nice moments as a pick and roll ball handler, but <clears throat> right now it just, uh, again, is kind of like, I, I feel like Kwesi Reeves has commanded minutes and the staff's interpretation right now of who's kind of needing to get taken away from to make space for that, um, is Jones and, uh, early returns on that are, um, I think it's a, you know, a good trade-off for the time being. Next question is from Luke Elkins, who wants to know what five we would want on the floor in a close game down the stretch. Wow. Do you want to start? Do you want to start with that one, Neil? Yeah, no, I like that question. Um, so I would want uh, Tyree Appleby, uh, Kowasi Reeves, I would like uh, Flynn Fleming, CJ Felder, and Colin Castleton would be the five that that I would choose. Um, and the main reason that I would choose them is I think it's probably the lineup you're going to get your best offense out of. Uh, you have to score down the stretch. And then I just like the length that that adds. And then you have kind of the pest in Tyree Appleby. So I do think – that's potentially uh, Florida's best defensive lineup as well, Eric. Oh yeah. I wanted you to go first. Cause I was thinking like my, my, my five is honestly the same as yours, but I was chal- I was kind of thinking, do I want Daruji or Felder? And that's kind of the, the change that I was making. And um, again, I just kind of feel like in that lineup, it's like Castleton's your guy. Tyree Appleby's probably your secondary guy. Flanders Fleming is your, you know, tertiary guy. You just probably want at that four position, the best catch and shoot guy, which, you know, you could argue between Drugi and, and Felder, but I, I I think it's maybe on a little bit lower volume is, is Felder right now. And then I'm um, kind of the rebounding and defensive versatility, I, I think is his. So, and then, I mean, again, we saw that there was two games in a row where, where Kwesi Reeves was playing big minutes um, in, in big moments of the games. And I think that he's, you know, shown he isn't going to make any like crazy freshman mistakes. 
and that's pretty big to keep him on the floor. And then the one thing I'll also point out is with this starting lineup, or not starting lineup, the lineup we're suggesting with uh, Flanders Fleming and uh, Tyree Apple being Quasi Reeves, that's 80%, 80%, 80% free throw shooting. And if you get Brandon McKissick or uh, Myron Jones into that mix, that is like not as good free throw shooting. So if you are in a one on one situation, um, you know, that's, it is what it is. I actually, I, one more point on the free throw shooting. Uh, I forget who asked him, but someone asked Quasi Reeves in the post game about free throw shooting. And he said something along the lines of like, yeah, you've just got to tune out the crowd or whatever. But all I, you know, again, I was just thinking about our last podcast and how I would have loved if Quasi Reeves, who has beautiful form, said, I have perfect form and then I put in reps. So I make free. <laughs> I would have loved if he gave that answer. I think he would never would, but um, watching him just knock down free throws. That was kind of what I'm thinking. I was like, there's a guy with perfect form. Yeah. He's a freshman. Like you could talk this, this other, like whatever stuff about him his, and his, you know, mental toughness, which he's definitely shown, but it's also like, yeah, here's a guy with really nice form. No wonder he hits free throws. Or if he said, yeah, we didn't even shoot any. We took the officer approach. <laughs> that would have been uh, <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Um, yeah, let's see, Trey Man to Hall of Fame <laughs> says, "How would you evaluate uh, Kawasi Reeves' start to SEC play?" I mean, I think we talked a little bit about it. I think the last couple games, in particular, he's really given Florida a lift as a starter. Um, this was the second time I think he's gotten over twenty minutes uh, this season, and I'd really like to see that uh, continue. Yeah, I mean, my only, like, I guess criticism would be, like, would have loved for him to have shot the ball a little bit more in those those first two games, but I totally understand why why he didn't, given the kind of role he was in, and he moved the ball confidently, and and uh, that was probably wise at, the, at that point, but, like, again, we just saw against South Carolina, where it was like, yeah, they ran an inbound set for him to get a shot. They got him in a, in a side pick and roll, and he converted, like... Uh, he's someone that I, you know, I'm, he, I, I'm glad that they're utilizing him. So he kind of like feels like he can take those shots, but um, I, I still think there's moments defensively where he maybe gets a little bit low in the stance on the ball and guarding some of these quicker, a lot smaller guys than him. He's going to have to to learn to uh, um, get a little bit more on the balls of his feet because he's going to be put in recovery a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, man, that's a uh, pretty nitpicky at this point. So um just giving a boost to the Gators when they, when they really needed it, getting them, helping them get back in some close games against good opponents um, with Auburn and LSU. And and now, you know, it's like as much as I thought the Gators played really well, it was like, well, they played an eight point game on the road and Kwesi Reeves was someone who gave him an offensive spark. So um, not to suggest that they only won that game because of Kwesi Reeves, man, he played a, played a pretty big role in a, you know, an eight point win only. So uh, pretty happy with him. And like, I can't wait to see him play the next game. He's very exciting to me. Yeah, no, fun player. Uh, Eric Neander asks, does the program have any type of established culture right now? Uh, I think it does. I mean, like, look, I mean, these are tough questions, and I kind of knew some of them were coming on this podcast. When I asked for listener questions after a third consecutive loss, like you <laughs> kind of you do that because you have a show and it's good content. Um, I do think they, they have a culture. I mean, I think they have – they certainly have a road game toughness about the program. Um, no SEC program has won more road games uh, in the Mike White era than Mike White and Florida. So I think Florida definitely travels well. They they usually are locked in and ready to play no matter where they are. Um, you know, for all the ways that I lamented home court culture on the last podcast, you know, it's kind of puzzling to me. It's been a good thing that they're that good on the road because I think it's been important to, to getting NCAA tournament bursts. But I think that that's definitely a thing. Um, and I do think, 
that there is still a, a defensive culture in Florida. I don't think it's as healthy as it needs to be because of uh, what I think are some schematic flaws in what that they in what they do defensively, particularly how they defend pick and rolls. And I think they're still just way too reliant on hedge defense as it slowly drifts out of fashion in the sport generally, Eric. But I think that there's definitely you know a culture, um, but I also think that there's lots of things to improve schematically, offensively, defensively, and and at home. Yeah, like I know that there's probably players that would say that defense is the culture, and maybe that would be Mike White's statement as as well. I mean, the response to that would be like, you know, right now the Gators are 39th in defense. Last year they were 41st, and the year before that they were 61st. So you could kind of, you know, like I, I I'm not not trying to really put that down, but like if we were, you know, like every kind of week we're, we're previewing games for an opponent. And if we were looking at an opponent with those defensive numbers over the third year, you and me would not describe them as a defensive program. That's just the fact right. of the matter. Right. Uh, so I do think that it's, and, and that coincides with the graduation of Kavari Hayes. So like, again, I'm not trying to put anyone down, but really like at this point, it kind of looks to me like Kavarius Hayes was the defensive culture. And I say that out of absolute respect for Kavarius Hayes. I, I don't, I don't even say that to, to put down anyone else. It's only to say like Kavarius Hayes was that good of a defensive player. Um, so I, 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 when I look at the culture of the Gators, like the one thing that you can say throughout Mike White's tenure and, you know, especially you want to weigh, you know, what's the culture you want to weigh recent stuff more than, you know, what happened six or seven years ago but like it, it really is effort and toughness because no matter how the gators have been outgunned or out talented they have always played tough and they have always like never given up on games like like it's actually crazy when you think about like how little the gators have been blown out the last several years like there was teams like like when they played auburn like auburn is blown out teams that i think are better than the gators um the gators had an off night i would say against auburn and kept the game close because they scratched and clawed and how many times have we been on this podcast where it was like wow they really could have lost that game by like by 30 like very realistically and they scratched and clawed and got the game close and you know it ultimately ended up as an eight or nine or ten point loss like that's the thing i think that we continue to see from the gators is they are going to fight um and even when they're down big they're going to um keep the effort at a high level and try to get back into basketball games so if i were to really say what is the culture of this team i would say it's related to that because that is something i can look like win or loss this team, that team, or that team going back the last couple of years, that's that's the consistency. Um, so that's what I see. So for me, it would just be that that kind of effort, um, toughness, and just like never quitting. Yeah, and I think a lot of that poise is why they're probably the best team in the SEC on the road over the last eight years, right? Like if you don't – if you're going to fight and claw and scratch in every game and you're kind of unflappable in terms of like whether or not opposing environments bother you, you're going to win your fair share. And so – that's what the Gators do. They win their fair share of road games. Yesterday was their first road win. Now they haven't been on the road a ton this season, but still uh, probably felt good to, to get that um, road W, you know, and prove that this particular group can maybe keep up the, the trend of Florida teams being relatively successful um, <clears throat> on the road. Uh, let's see the next one. Well, there's a host of questions about what it would take to get Mike White fired. And I'm going to group all of them together. 
rather than call anybody out by name, um, there's several questions. And so I think the one that maybe is the best phrase is like, does six and 12 in the SEC and no postseason get Mike White fired? Would that give Gator basketball a fresh start? Um, so I have two thoughts on this uh, very quickly. And, you know, maybe Eric has some, maybe he doesn't. First is, so Mike White's buyout is $8.75 million. Um, so let's start there. Uh, if Florida fires Mike White at the end of the season, they owe him $8.75 million. If they were to fire him after next season, they would owe him $5.25 million. Uh, so the 525 is still quite a bit of money on a buyout, especially when you just paid uh, Dan Mellon either, well, six guaranteed and then up to 12. Um, but uh, to some extent, it is funny money. And I want to explain that to people. There's a new TV deal coming into place in 2024. Uh, and so what I mean by funny money is the value of your revenue sports, which for Florida is basketball, football, and baseball. Uh, one of the few NCA programs that has three, by the way, um, is going to increase even more exponentially with the new TV deal. Um, so Florida's going to be getting a ton of money. I think the smartest college basketball programs are going to get out in front of that money and spend more um, on the sport. Um, Florida obviously is willing to do some spending on it if they're willing to guarantee Mike White that much money in his contract. In my opinion, I don't think it's just a matter of Scott Strickland getting swindled by his agent. I think that there's a give and take that has to be understood in that bargaining process. And it's sort of Florida saying, look, we have this money because we're going to, and we go to the NCAA tournament, and we get some of that share. Because um, the programs that qualify get more than the programs that don't in the SEC division of the pie. Um so uh, I do think that the money right now is prohibited, though. I think 875 means it won't happen. I also don't think that they'll fire Mike White for missing the NCAA tournament one time, to which you will then stay uh, in both nice ways for some of you and in the most hateful tweets possible to me, that it's not about one season of missing the tournament. It's about the standard and not – look, I agree. Like I think Florida should compete for the SEC championship in, in, in basketball. And I don't think that they've done that since Chris Chios' senior year when they finished like three games out, but I think they lost three of those games by like a bucket, you know, um, that certainly all within five points. That team was very capable of winning the SEC. Uh, and remember the COVID year, had they not blown the lead to Kentucky, they would have finished second in the league. So, um, you know, they end up finishing fifth, but the point being it was just not enough. Like, Mike White hasn't won hardware other than these feast week tournaments. And I think, you know, the program should be able to do that at Florida. I think it's a top three job in the SEC. So I understand that. I just don't think that they're going to make a change based off one missed NCAA tournament. If that's what ends up happening. Very well said. And, and uh, I, I think too, like, like the honestly, the realistic answer is what does it take for Mike White to get fired? Like finding out that all these transfers got, illicit benefits or something like I, 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 which I don't think it's the case, but I'm just like, to, to be honest, like, I don't think there'd be a basketball thing that would get him fired. That's the gist of what I'm saying. Like, I, I guess like, you know, had they lost to South Carolina, would this conversation be different? <laughs> like maybe like if they drop a couple to Vanderbilt and Georgia and it's, it's that kind of 
well, even then, then where else would your wins come from to get to this hypothetical six and 12? But like, you know, I've told the story a couple of times and I, when my, the, the first Gator game I was ever able to go to in person. And that was in Billy Donovan's last year. And it was sometime in February, kind of deep into the season, the Gators were way out of the sec mix and they were nowhere close to the NCAA tournament. And I think the announced attendance was like 4,000 or so people. There's no way there was more than 2,500 people. I was the only one sitting in the second level of the O-Dome and I could have sat anywhere on the lower level other than the student section if I wanted to. The Rowdy Reptiles were still there in on mass. They were absolutely loaded. But, you know, there was maybe 22,000 or 2,500 people there. So, like, if it was at the point where, like, for every home game moving forward, there was 2,500 people in the stands and they were losing, you know, like... Maybe, maybe then, but even then, like, like Neil kind of said, there's funny money coming up. And I, I just, every, every indication that, um, from the connections that I have and that Neil has too, I'm sure that, um, that's just not something they're looking to do this year. And they, they still really support Mike White. They still really support the, the other guys on staff. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard for me to visualize and, happening that would get Mike White fired because I think it would take something off the court and I would find that really surprising if we found out that Mike White or anyone under his on you know on his staff did something that that would get them fired and uh you know one other question Neil that I I keep getting as well regarding um Napier and as well as like I don't think people realize that the money's even about to get a lot more for basketball people are kept saying like hey like Napier got all this money to like make these crazy support staffs and then they're tweeting you know, pictures of these other schools at the high major levels where they just have like ridiculous, you know, quote unquote armies of, of support staff, which they're not, you know, armies in basketball, you know, Billy Napier is building an army, but you know, like a, a bunch more support staff in positions than, than Florida has uh, to support basketball. And they're like, Hey, do you think Billy Napier's influence is going to, going to have that on basketball? And do you think we'll see all these new positions in basketball? And honestly, like maybe, but that's something I think about relative to all the money that's coming in is like, you are seeing teams like, like one team that does have, you know, an army I'll say is, is Texas A&M. I know they haven't been great recently, but they've got a whole lot of support staff in positions that don't exist in other places. Arkansas is kind of another way. They've got a whole bunch more um, kind of support staff in, in you know, off the court basketball roles. So I'll, I'll be interested if like that Napier approach, like everyone seems to be happy what he's doing. And one of the big things he's doing is like getting a whole bunch of really talented people to, to work for him. Um, we'll see if that happens, but that's something that ties into me uh, with like what you were saying about the fact that there's about to be a whole, much more kind of money coming to from the basketball side due to these contracts but um yeah hopefully every get podcast doesn't turn into like another like should mike white be fired um podcast um that wouldn't be make for <laughs> very good content and i i i just and part of it is because yes we think it's we think it's unrealistic so you know good to address it now but uh you know we'll 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 see if things go crazy off the rails but hey they were able to get one win they really need against South Carolina and that would take away one of the you know the huge landmines that could have changed the conversation i suppose yeah and by the way i should add that um briefly if anyone's even listening to me still on this issue that i don't think it matters if mike misses the tournament this year and then they go to the NCAA tournament next year and aren't competitive for the sec again. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, what if Florida rallies and makes the NCAA tournament this season, but then has another year where they just aren't a factor in the sec for the championship. Like, I think eventually that could lead to a change regardless of whether, like, I don't think the just making the NCAA tournament makes Mike safe either. Um, Although I think it very much helps. And I think people should know that, but no, I don't think 
after five consecutive years of being an NCAA tournament team, they would fire him for missing the tournament one time. Um, I really don't think that they would do that. Uh, and I understand that there's a whole lot more that goes into it. And I've already said that, but um, no, I don't think it's, it's a real, given what his buyout is, I don't think it's realistic this season. Bull Gator asks, uh, the elephant on the court is offense. I like that. Year in and year out, the Gator offense continues to struggle. Good scorers, Blackshear, Jones, come here and suddenly can't shoot. Shooters seem to excel when they leave. Man, Quez Clubber. Is it lineups, preparation, a curse? What in the heck is going on? <laughs> okay, I've got to share a, an amazing theory that was floated on the Gator Country uh, boards. This was a real message board genius moment. Um Actually, you know, if anyone follows that, I though it, I shouldn't say that it actually had some I thought it was interesting, but someone floated out it's the practice facility that the Gators use, and the depth perception in the practice facility that guys practice on is too different than um, the O Dome or any of these SEC state or you know arenas, and that's why the Gators don't shoot well because they've got that really close proximity of the walls behind the practice facility, um, which I thought was pretty creative. Again, I, I called him a message board genius, which I actually like is, is you know, I guess would be kind of an insult since that account makes fun of people. Um, I thought it was creative for sure. Um, but I, you know, I kind of let him know that there's a lot of other teams with similar, similar practice uh, facilities, but I just wanted to share that because I thought it was very creative. Um, yeah. I mean, Hey, I don't really have anything grand to say. I, I don't think that Mike White is someone who thrives on the offensive end. I don't, I, I said a lot of podcasts during the Kerry Blackshear era that I don't think that they utilized him well at all. I don't think they had good actions to get him the basketball. I don't think they spaced the floor well for him when he posted up. And it was just a whole lot of him trying to fight through double teams. Um, with Myron Jones specifically, because I know we're addressing, you know, these specific players, he said, uh, Myron Jones is a very streaky shooter who appears to be in a long um, funk. I will say as well that the Gators early in the season used him off a whole lot of screens, which is what they did at Penn state for him. They have stopped doing that. And he, that kind of coincides with when he struggled to shoot maybe a little bit of a chicken or an egg thing. Hey, he's not hitting shots. Why would we run action for him? Um, but maybe it's, you know, you still need to run action for him and, and that'll get him going chicken or an egg kind of thing there, but specific to those guys. Um, yeah, I still think there's some utilization things. I mean, with Myron Jones, you have someone with a really funky release and a really funky game. Kerry Blackshear was a guy who wasn't athletic, pretty funky game. Um, someone who plays really below the rim, um, not super long, um, but scores around the rim, kind of a funky game. Those guys can be tough to utilize, but you know, it, I, I don't really, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate it again. I don't think we, there's anything like grand going on, but I just will say like, no, I, you know, I don't think that Mike White is an elite, offensive coach and i've had some issues with the way that he's utilized some of these guys and um they're you know we, we hope that they're improving i think we saw a couple of things offensively we liked the last couple of games and we just we just hope they get better you know offensively as they learn what works and what doesn't and i will say that like maybe you know carrie blackshear had to die on a few possessions for colin castleton to live because we're finally seeing now that they're <laughs> able to where they're able to like get some better actions playing out of the double teams that Castleton is facing. And we just like didn't see them cutting to the nail for high, low actions off Kerry Blackshear double teams. That just wasn't the case. So we didn't even see it last year for Castleton, but we're seeing it this year. So um, yeah, we know that offense hasn't been great in the past. We just hope that uh, it kind of improves moving forward. Yeah. I don't have much to add to that other than I, I tend to think Florida has a, a bit of a schematic disadvantage with Mike White offensively. I think the fact that they have had to change offenses uh, 
make significant tweaks to their offense or overhaul it altogether the last four seasons, basically since Chris Chioza left campus, uh, is is problematic. And, um, you know, I still think Mike would benefit from an offensive coordinator uh, on his staff. I thought that, you know, and I, it's not anything against Eric Pastrana and Akeem McSteen, who I think have definitely brought juice and energy to the program, um, especially on the recruiting trail. But I do think Florida could use some fresh ideas on the offensive end. And I've said that for a couple seasons, continue to agree with that. Anthropocino says, um, obviously not having an elite player like Keontae or Trey man hurts. Uh, but from your expectations heading into the year till now, what are you most disappointed about with this team? Um, and for me, you know, I just kind of, I guess I would have to stick with offense and just the fact that they seemed yet again, so confident in what system that they had decided to deploy um, in August and September. And here we are in mid-January and they've really gone away from that because it wasn't working. And to me, you know, that's highly disappointing. And I also kind of wonder how they looked at this roster in August and September and thought that with just Tyree Appleby, that was necessarily the right system. Or if that was just Mike White that thought that, whatever, however that breaks down, uh, that would probably be the most disappointing thing to me, Eric. Um, this is maybe more like offseason fodder stuff that we can get into more, but I, I, I do think that with the Princeton offense that they kind of utilized two years before and then last season, um, the kind they started with the kind of the base actions of Princeton. And I was like, Oh, cool. I like this. I'm into it. Um, let's interested to see what, like, I'm interested to see what they add next. And then they just never really added anything more. I never really got into the further reads of the Princeton. And I, I see that with the five out as well. And the delay offense that they ran to start the season when I tweeted out that I really liked it. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is the building blocks of something of an offense I really like. And then they just didn't add anything to it. So I, I do think that there's still, like I I've never feel like Florida really fully actualized the Princeton offense. I don't feel like they really fully actualized the five out offense. They kind of started in the most basic elements of it and then didn't kind of go through. So I'm not even convinced this wasn't the right kind of offense, because again, if you it was like, okay, Brandon McKinnick, um, not, not someone who has a lot of juice off the dribble, but let's get him off these wide pin downs that can happen in this five out delay offense. That gives him that first step advantage where he can use his body to shield a defender and all that. Like I, I even think it could work with this group, but like, like we've just kind of mentioned in past podcasts, I don't think they've executed it very well. And I don't think they've gotten into the layers of it that are more difficult. So um, that's kind of my, my, my grand look at offense the last couple of years. Um, we will probably have that discussion a little bit more in like April. <laughs> so, you know, mark your calendars folks. But uh, um, in terms of this group of players, I think that that was maybe the question even too talking about like what, what players like I, there's not a player that I'm like super disappointed in. I would say the thing kind of generally with the expectations versus reality is like, I just thought, Hey, we've got all these guys that are like 22, 23 years old. I don't think there's going to be the like, hey, we had a bad practice and then they went into this game and played badly. And we're still getting that from Mike White, who's, of course, so yeah, great point. saying like, you know, we had a bad practice. We were unfocused. Like those are the things that when you had the whatever it was, 340, whatever youngest team in the country a couple of years back, like that's what you'd expect. I was expecting to not ever hear that. So and then you also see like, again, just like the the kind of 
problems with like some focus still in, in, in stretches of the games, giving up, you know, 14 0 runs that are what ultimately decide the game. It's like, I, I thought those were going to be the things that you didn't have with an older team. So I would say if there was something that I had the expectation of, which turned out to not be the case, I thought there wasn't going to be Mike White saying we had bad practices. I thought it was going to be like, Hey, this is a veteran group. We have good practices all the time. And I thought that things were going to be a very stable, not taking the Texas Southern loss, um, you know, I thought that maybe the ceiling wasn't there to like beat a good Ohio state team, but I didn't think the floor would be there to lose to a Texas Southern. So that would be kind of my, what was different than my expectation going into this year. Two time Florida state high school basketball coach of the year. Click McSweeney dropping in to the pod uh, from old rival of mine, uh, Calvary Christian. Uh, so what up click clicks question is, Hey boys, love the show. Want to know if the press, especially to the short bench, is an effective strategy in the SEC, or is it just an energy energy waster that is correlating to your poor shooting percentages and lower offensive efficiency, especially late in games? Woo! I, I love that question. Thank you for listening, and thank you for the question. Um, I, I think that they've been more successful and and looking at some of the numbers and going through. I think they've been successful with like what we saw against South Carolina was just like that simple kind of run and jump where it's like, make them go side to side to side, you know, three or four times as they bring the ball up the floor. And then it's like South Carolina wants to run primary offense. Sorry, you can't because we've ruined your spacing by making you do that. Um, I think they've had success there. I do think when they've truly extended their pressure and pressed, um, that's where you've just saw teams that are too smart. Like even again, we saw it a couple of times since Florida state, even in the game where Florida, um, you know, dominated it's still Florida state saw that the Gators went to a press and were like, awesome. They just like everyone moved a couple steps to the side and then they just like tic-tac-toe up the floor and scored in three seconds. So I, I still think that they're going to have, they have had trouble against good teams and are going to have trouble with, with that. Um, against some good teams moving forward. But um, I think the some of these teams that you could take some time off the shot clock, uh, I, I think they'll have a little bit of success with it, like we saw against South Carolina. In terms of wasted energy, I mean, that is that is super interesting and something that's obviously tough to quantify. But like Myron Jones had a nice steal in the South Carolina game where he went all out to jump a passing lane. And again, it's like if Myron Jones is playing 36 minutes like he was earlier in the season, uh, maybe you don't have that happen or maybe he plays worse on the defensive end just generally or shoots the ball worse because he's trying to make those plays while playing 36 minutes but if he's playing 15 or 20 you know maybe it's just something the Gators have to be more like hey we've got this lineup um with guys that are playing 15 or 20 minutes we can press a little bit more but uh with our you know main guys maybe not so I would say still like kind of generally I'm not a big pressing guy um, that's been kind of a common theme throughout the lifespan of this podcast. Um, they've definitely had more success with it this year than I expected, but there's still moments where I don't think it's great. And if I like close my eyes and imagine the SEC tournament or hopefully the NCAA tournament playing quality teams, do I like envision a world where the Gators are pressing a bunch and having success? I struggle to visualize that. So um, I think it's a little bit more of a novelty, but novelties can be really good where you jump, throw them out for a possession or two. But uh, what do you think, Neil? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it's definitely better when they do what they did against South Carolina, just use it to slow an opposing offense down or take them out of their early shot clock actions. Uh, that's what I saw in Columbia yesterday. I think that's more effective. I do think even to do that, like another argument for extending the bench and maybe playing a little more, um, this just seems like the kind of roster to play more guys um, because I, I just don't think that there's that huge talent disparity uh, in the middle of the roster 
that we've seen with past Mike White teams where there's so clearly six or seven guys that are better than everyone on the roster. Like that's not necessarily this team. Like basically only Niles Lane has proven to be somebody they're just not going to use. Um, and so if you are confident in putting those guys out there, do it. And I still think, you know, yeah, I mean, you can get, you can get some productivity just slowing teams down out of that. And, you know, anything that Florida can do to prevent the time in which people have to isolate their mismatch, I think is really good for the Gators uh, defensively. So uh, just a great question. And, and uh, always happy to hear uh, from click congrats to his, uh, his dude. Um, God, what is, I can't remember Marvin's last name, whatever. Congrats to your dude on the, uh, the LSU commitment. Um, you know, I'm sure that he will have a strong ass career in Baton Rouge. Um, <laughs> you knew I had to go there, baby. Uh, so the next uh, question, I guess, is going to be, uh, well, this will be our last one. Because um, like I said, I grouped about 13 or so together. Uh, but it's just, um, how many games do you think Florida has to win? of their next six, this was including the South Carolina game to really get themselves back in position to make a run at the NCAA tournament. Um, and I will answer it first and just say, like, I really felt like this was a stretch where Florida, uh, I felt obviously like they had to win that game against South Carolina, but I feel like with Miss State, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Oklahoma State, the Gators kind of need to go four and one in that stretch for me to feel good about where they are madness wise again. It's looking up at uh, Marvel Allen's commitment to LSU, the six foot four, 190 pound 18th ranked player in the country, according to 24 seven. So that's a, that's a good get for, for LSU. So congrats to, to Marvel Allen. And I don't look forward to playing against him because he looks like a great player um, in terms of the next uh, couple games for the Gators. It's like, it's always so hard to say, like feel comfortable because like, there's just obviously a thousand moving parts. Um, Actually, I do want to plug something that, you know, we've, we've mentioned that we love Bart Torvik on the podcast. Um, man, he's got like the best tool. And, uh, oh, I forget what it's called. But um, it's like you you put in your team. So you'd put in the Gators and then it has every single game that day. And it says who you should cheer for. So like, because it's like, obviously like college basketball is such a web of like, everything is kind of connected at this point. So like games that you don't think matter are changing the metrics of teams you played and therefore it changes. So it's got this, like who it's got this like cheering for guide that if you want the Gators resume, um, you can go look like to be as good as possible. You can like look at this list and like cheer for, you know, and then you just kind of know what needs to like break the Gators way to make their metrics look like marginally better. I think it's amazing. Um, but it just, again, it's a reminder of just like how many inputs there are to all these metrics, like the net rating, our ranking that um, ultimately decide where you might sit for selection Sunday. But like, man, we've kind of talked about that. The Gators need to uh, need to win the games that they're kind of projected to win. And um, at this point, they're going to have to steal a couple that uh, you probably like, you know, don't think that they should win. So I, I just think, you know, you definitely have to take care of, of Vanderbilt. You've got to take care of Ole Miss, I would say. And Ole Miss is pretty good. I, I think I think they're better than they've kind of shown. And, you know, we even see with Missouri that yeah, Missouri can uh, can play a little bit better than they expect as well. But, like, even though those are going to be tough games, I, th I think you've got to beat Vanderbilt. You've got to beat Ole Miss. You've got to beat uh, Missouri. And, honestly, at this point, I think you've got to beat Oklahoma State as well. Um, just because, like, you know, even looking at a game with Mississippi State coming up, it's like – 
those are the that they're about projected to finish in the SEC about where Florida is. So it's like, well, if you want to be on the right side of them, you want to be on the better side of them for the bubble, you've got to beat those teams. And um, Oklahoma State, just by the metrics, similar team to Florida. So it's like, well, if you want to be in the conversation for, you know, being on the right side of the bubble, you've got to be on the right side of these teams that are, that are kind of ranked similar to you. So it's so tough to say, just like looking at so many games left, but it's like, man, it's just like a, a loss to Ole Miss. Who's 104 in, in Ken Palm. Like those are, those are the things that'll just like, you know, drive the knife like deeper and deeper. Cause the Gators just can't afford to take, you know, many more of those. hundred percent, man. So let's talk Miss state. Uh, I think just a huge game for Florida when you talk about NCAA tournaments uh, status, almost identical uh, Kim Palm ranking. I haven't looked at Bartorvik today, but I imagine that they're right in the same ballpark of people. Um, I wrote an article at Saturday Down South I don't know, a couple weeks ago when SEC play started, and I kind of hinted that I thought this state was like much better than they were getting credit for. Um, mostly because I just like the way that it's a, it's a very Ben Hallen roster, uh, but they went and got help um, for Tolu Smith, their tremendous uh, center. Uh, Garrison Brooks has looked like just a different player for the bulk of the season. He looks much better than I thought he ever looked at South Carolina, Eric. Um, and he gives them a true power forward uh, to kind of roll with uh, Smith. DJ Jeffries, the Memphis transfer, um, is a guy who can block a shot. He can get to the free throw line. And then I've just been really stunned by the improvement um, in Iverson Molinar, who I thought was sort of an adequate power six guard uh, for his first couple seasons. And he's just having a really special season, uh, all SEC type season for, for the Bulldogs. So your initial thoughts on Mississippi State, um, Eric ahead of Wednesday night still in Gainesville. Uh, just kind of like overall, I want to say that I think that they're better than their numbers suggest. And it's because Tolu Smith has missed a bunch of games due to, I don't actually know like he's missed like multiple different stretches of games. So I don't know if he was in health, health and safety protocol or injury or a combination of both, but he's missed a couple of stretches here and there. He did play in their last game after missing the two before that. So it was like, you know, we played against Alabama, which is their last game was limited but he did play. Then he didn't play the two games before that. Then the game before that he played, but the four games before that he didn't. And he also missed the first four games of the season. So he's had like, I, I don't know what's going on with him. I'm sure if I just like search that before the podcast, like could have had a better answer, but you know, they lost to Colorado state who we really like um, when he didn't play. Um, they lost to Ole Miss when he didn't play. And if you remember last year, he had 27 points and 14 rebounds against the Gators on 11 of 13 shooting which is honestly one of the like best performances an opposing player has had against the Gators, like in the podcast's history, um, the podcast era of like whatever this is, our fourth season or something like that. So Tolly Smith has been awesome and he hasn't been um, in their lineup regularly. And I think that's why they took some losses that um, they shouldn't. So I think he's outstanding. And I think Iverson Molinar, like I feel like so many people say this about like there's so many players that people say as well. It's like, Oh, he's the most underrated player in the country, but I really think he might be. And his athleticism and really kind of quick twitch, like first step. I, I just think he's fantastic. And I think that there's not a very natural matchup for the Gators to guard him because he's six, three and um, really physical and uh, just like such a first or such a quick first step. So it's just like, there's, 
you know, like he's like Brandon McKissick is going to match up with him physically, but not speed wise. And Tyre Appleby might be able to match up speed wise, but not physicality wise. So um, it's a concerning matchup for sure. Yeah, it is a concerning matchup. Uh, Florida's going to need a lot of CJ Felder in this game as well. I think to, they're going to need their better games from CJ Felder and Jerusha to deal with Garrison Brooks. As I've talked about, uh, Tolly Smith is playing through a broken toe um in his right foot so uh thank you for actually researching neil appreciate that no problem that's what's been going on with tolu and i can only imagine uh having i've played through uh what plantar fasciitis turf toe if you will and i can tell you that's not fun but an actual broken foot probably even more difficult because i can't imagine he practices very much um so it's just kind of like hey how bad does it hurt today they're pretty deep uh, and Ben Hallen has usually been sort of in the Mike White school of a seven-man rotation, eight-man rotation. They play nine or ten. They have uh, nice depth. Rocket Watts, the Michigan State transfer, can score off the bench for them um, and, and certainly has been asked to do that, although he's only shooting 32% uh, from deep. They have another guard, Anderson Garcia, who is a real pest defensively. He's also – um, you know, pretty big, but he's, he's at 4.8 um, steals per 40 minutes. Um, that's pretty, pretty high number of, of steals per 40 minutes. Now, obviously he's not playing 40 minutes a game, but at six foot seven, he's the kind of guy that can bother somebody like Brandon McKissick, I think uh, pretty significantly. Who's been a little air prone with the basketball or forced into some wild drives. And I think Florida's got to be mindful of that. Um, They are a team that does hard hedge. Uh, Ben Howland teams have always hard hedged. Um, You know, of course, when Ben was doing it at UCLA and going to all those final fours, Eric, uh, everybody was doing that. Now it's, it's not as much. I always think that helps Florida a little bit when they play Miss state, because they certainly should, used to practicing against that kind of defense it's just a little bit different against miss state's type of length um, so i think when you circle big challenges in this game it's how do you help off tolu smith to make sure if he plays to just make sure that it's not garrison brooks that kills you and then you've got to keep their guards in front of you particularly molinar who's, who's going to get some some looks at the basket i think some of that's inevitable but he's a 30 percent three-point shooter and his mid-range jump shot game is not terrific either. You really want to keep him away from the 10 where he's such a great finisher. So I don't remember Ben Hallen doing this, but maybe he did. And I've, I've missed over the last couple of years, but this year they're playing blocker mover offense, which is not super in fashion these days in college basketball. But um, we actually talked uh, at length about blocker mover at the beginning of last season for a game against Virginia that of course did yeah. not happen. And uh, which is sad. You know what? I didn't, I haven't actually thought about it since, but like they need to reschedule that one. Cause I would love for the Gators to play Virginia. So hopefully that one can, can happen sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, this blocker mover action, this constant kind of circular action with a pin down on one side and a flare screen on the other. Um, you'll see players actually, I was going through their clips. You'll see some of these Mississippi state players. Um, they'll, you know, put their finger straight up in the air and do a circular motion to kind of <laughs> signal to everyone that they're doing it, which I think is kind of funny. Cause I'm like, Hey, maybe don't like 
simulate what you're about to run. But anyways, um, teams probably know it's coming anyways, I guess. But uh, so yeah, they run that. And, and uh, the main action they're looking for is the pin down. They're not looking for the flare as much. They're looking for the pin down. And a lot of times it's for, it's for Iver- Iverson Molinar because they want to get him catching that ball, curling and heading towards the rim. And it's actually maybe advantageous that the Gators just played um, South Carolina because that's what South Carolina is trying to do for Eric Stevenson all the time is run him off pin downs. And what did we say earlier in the podcast that the Gators handled those pin downs really well. So you're definitely going like three tiers higher of an athlete with Molinar versus Stevenson, but uh, they're going to see that a lot. Like looking at the numbers off screen offense, looking at synergy, Mississippi state is one of the most off screen usage teams in the country. And it's because they're constantly running those pin down and flare. And uh, it really fits their personnel as well because it's called blocker mover kind of because you've got two blockers on the floor, which are your screeners and you've got two um, movers on the floor and that's your guys coming off the flares and the pin downs. So it's like, you've got Tolu Smith and, and uh, Garrison Brooks just setting massive screens, freeing up these guards. And then every time they set the screen, they can open up and slip to the hoop. So um, again, it's an offense that's not super popular these days, but uh they're having great success. Um, they Mississippi state has been a team that's been really good offensively for a number of years now. And, uh, this is, uh, just another year that they're doing it and they're doing it with a style of, of basketball. That's um, not super common. So it's always kind of fun to see. Yeah, it will be, uh, it will be fun to see. It's a midweek, uh, home game. It's just Mississippi state's second, um, true road game. The Bulldogs are zero and one, on the road this season, uh, you know, I would point out that the Gators have not beaten uh, Mississippi State in a game of college basketball um, since 2018. So uh, Miss State has won the last three meetings between the two programs, uh, including um, one that I think in the COVID year that just drove the fan base absolutely batty. Um, in Gainesville where Florida had, I think, I don't know, I forget exactly how far ahead Florida was, but it was a lot. Um, and I think it was one of the largest blown leads in the history of Florida's program. Um, and they end up losing 78 to 71 to Miss State, uh, that year in the exactic arena. That was Florida's last game against them. Obviously last year, uh, came down to a last second shot and, and Florida missed it. Um, and I think what Miss State made one, Florida missed one. Uh, so they've had some fun games over the years. Obviously, the the Tolu Smith performance last year was just ridiculous. Um, so, you know, a big one uh, for the Gators and certainly a chance to get a win that I think will age pretty well. It would be a quad two victory, uh, their second consecutive quad two win uh, if they get it. And I think – this state is going to be a team that at the end of the year is, is in and around the top 40 of Ken Palm. Yeah. They're just going to keep getting better. The more that Tolu Smith plays. So hopefully for their sake and for his sake, for Tolu Smith's sake, he's able to, uh, um, get healthy and continue to play. So it's kind of one of those games too, that like in the, you know, big 12 ACC or sorry, big 12, big 12 SEC challenge. Um, he's someone who's going to like, like you look at Mississippi state and there's probably going to be like looking at the numbers, maybe, um, whoever they're playing is going to be, you know, favored, but actually it's, you know, Mississippi state's a lot better than expected because, uh, they lost a couple games when, when he wasn't playing. So uh, I think that's really important. And again, it's like one of those games that if the Gators lose, it's not like in a vacuum, a bad loss, but these are the games they're just going to need to get on the right side of if they want to get into the NCAA tournament. So um, big, big one for that reason, certainly not must win or anything like that, but it's like, 
certainly would be nice to win. And uh, I think the last thing, like, I don't really have any like opinions on it. We talked about it earlier, but like, here's going to be, you know, maybe technically the best offensive rebounding team the Gators have played. There's, and I don't think there's any, uh, anything schematically different about this game than the last, the last couple, other than they've got big guys, they're going to send to the glass and the Gators will have to be prepared for that. Um, or it could be another game where you look and here's, you know, 20 extra shots for Mississippi state over the Gators. Yeah. And I think that will be a losing formula. Like Florida has to compete on the glass. Um, I do think that Mississippi state, uh, like I said, because they hedge so much, um, when Tula Smith has been out, they've been a little bit vulnerable at times in the pick and roll. They've also been a little vulnerable on the pick and pop because uh, they don't have – they have to come collapse a little bit to help inside. And so they are one of the worst teams at defending the three in the SEC. Can Florida make shots? I mean, again, you know, uh, we've, we've waited for one of these games where Florida just kind of breaks out and hits a bunch of shots. They've had a couple of them at home. Um, but – you know, it would be a big one. And I think at home it's, you know, Eric said it's not a must win. I think it's as close to one as possible just because they are on their home floor, um, you know, and they don't get a second shot at Miss State, right? Like if they play them again, it'll be in Tampa at the SEC tournament. So, um, you know, you would hate to play this game, lose it, and then the committee be looking at two SEC resumes late in the year and say, well, Miss State won in Gainesville. Um, so I think – just a huge game for Florida, and hopefully uh, they can build off the momentum. Maybe they catch Miss State a little flat after their uh, win over Alabama. Also unfortunate, I mean, we talked about um, the number of people that were at the LSU game. It's like, well, here's a 6.30 start now on a weekday, so a little unfortunate that I'm sure that that's going to eliminate some people like who's you know Brutal. depending on depending on the drive that, that some people have, like that's a pretty big half an hour for a weeknight, so – um, I'm sure there's big reasons with the SEC network why that game is when it is. But, um, you know, salute to anyone who's listening to this that uh, was able to get out of work early or something to make that uh, that 630 tip. But uh, let's hope the uh, the atmosphere is good. And let's hope the Gators uh, kind of give them a treat. And let's hope that Kwesi Reeves uh, contributes to the shooting that we uh, we hope to see in terms of uh, having one of those breakout games. It's like, well, Kwesi. Casey Reeves is definitely a guy that you could see hitting a bunch of threes efficiently. And uh, that definitely makes Florida's spurt, abil spurt ability a little more positive. So um, I'm looking forward to it because it's always fun to play a team that like is very similar in um, kind of talent, but plays a different style. Um, I didn't think about kind of the home culture piece in terms of, is it a must win or not? Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that definitely makes it a little bit, a little bit more important. And uh, yeah, I think that's all, all I have for that one. Well, there you go. So I'll steal Eric's thunder this time and just say, go Gators, keep attacking closeouts.